Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 and 12 to 14. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set for his own authority, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And picking up again at verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Um, who here likes to wait? Oh, don't all raise your hands at once, okay? You like to wait sometimes? Depends on what you're waiting for. Well, I recently ran across a statistic that by the time we reach 80 years old, we have spent five years waiting over the course of our life. That's a lot of waiting. Five years. Hmm. That's uh, a lot. Um, there was a, an author that had a birthday this month, and you may have known him as a person from Springfield. Anybody know whose birthday? The author from Springfield, whose birthday was this month? Dr. Seuss, right. Well, Ben and I went to the library the other day, and they had a whole display about Dr. Seuss. And one of the books that was there was this one. And I was like, hmm, okay. This is a really good book. But in this book, there's a room that's described as the waiting room, the waiting place. And I thought, hmm, okay, that's pretty, pretty spot on here. Because here's the waiting place. It says, for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow. Well, we don't want that anymore. Or waiting around for a yes or a no. Or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night. Or perhaps waiting for their Uncle Jake. Or to put a pot, or for a pot to boil, or a better break or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a twig, a wig with pearls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. And it made me think about the disciples. Here, Jesus and the disciples in our scripture this morning were talking. They're like, okay, we, we, we're, we're good. We've been doing all this ministry stuff. And, you know, so are you going to do this now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We've been waiting so long for this. And you're here. We know you're the Messiah. So are you going to do it? 
Well, it's not for me to tell you. You're just going to have to wait. Oh, we've been waiting. Just tell us, is it? So what do they do? They wait. They get together in that upper room where they had gathered, and they wait. They pray, and they fellowship together, and they wait. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to give them the gifts and the skills they need so they can go out and spread the word. As Jesus said, you know, just wait. The stuff is coming. I will send it. It says here, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my disciples, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they were waiting. Okay, what gift am I going to get? What, what am I going to be able to do? How am I going to do this? But the whole important thing was they were together and they were praying, praying expectantly for this to happen. Sometimes when we wait, we just sit there. Now, I always have a book with me, so I'm good when I have to wait because I don't like to wait, but I always have a book. But if I don't have a book, then I play some sort of word game or something, or I, maybe I pray, or maybe I um, do something on my phone. But what we should be doing is praying all the time, because even those dead, what we think are dead moments, when we're just waiting, sitting in traffic, or sitting at the doctor's office, or the other day I had to wait at the car place to get my car fixed, an hour and a half. That's a long time. But there's things that we can do, and the most important thing to do is to pray during those times. And God will bless those times, just like he blessed the disciples. That time was not a wasted time. That was time for them to fill their tank with the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for those times that we need to wait on you. They are important times in our lives that that help us to be connected to you, to understand what it is you want us to do and to wait for those gifts that you want to give us so that we can do them. Help us to be in a spirit of prayer at all times, listening to your word, because it is true and it will come, and you will bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. So help us to be patient. Help us to gather together, to fellowship, to worship you, but most of all to pray, and not only to use our voices to pray or our hearts to pray, but our ears to hear the good news that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, everything we do is in your name and in your strength. We ask that... Um, you will help us to hear what you have for us today and to um, take it on into our, into our lives so we will we'll look more like Jesus. I pray that you will be with me as I speak, that it will be clear in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people here grew up in church? Okay, so when you were a kid in church, did you ever get caught for running around? <laughs> this is a this is a relatable experience for church going children, I think probably. 
Um, I, as you know, I'm a pastor's kid, and my dad was the founding pastor of Charlton Baptist Church, but my grandfather, my mom's dad, was the founding pastor of Barrington Baptist Church in Rhode Island. And I don't, I think by the time we got to Charlton, um, I maybe wasn't quite old enough for this, but we didn't have our own building for a long time. So this didn't really happen there. But at Barrington Baptist Church, I actually spent a lot of time at that church um, all the way up through my teen years. And um, when I was really little, every time I would go there, I, I felt comfortable there because it was, it was grandpa's church. That's what I called it. And, um, and so I knew that place... It was a bigger building than this. It wasn't as old as this one, but it had all kinds of back hallways and rooms that were, you wouldn't think there would be a room there. And so it was really fun to explore. And I used to get there on not Sundays. And so I would explore the whole thing. So I felt really comfortable there. And on Sundays, I I just loved being there. And so I would just run because I was happy and I was a kid and I liked it. And I think that a child's enthusiasm is one of the things that Jesus really um, is saying is a good thing when he tells us to have the faith of a child. Just be that free and enthusiastic and joyful about God. However, uh, I did sometimes get told to stop running in church. And that wasn't totally inappropriate. I think it's great that I felt familiar there, that I felt comfortable there, that I felt like church was a safe place. There are a lot of people out there right now that if you ask them, they will say church is not a safe place. And so um, I don't, I take very seriously, I don't take for granted the fact that church was always a safe place for me. Um, And I think that's good. And because I was familiar and it felt safe, I think that is why my faith has been able to withstand some pretty hard knocks and keep growing later. But there is also a place for learning not to run in church, right? To, to slow down, to be respectful, to pay attention to what's going on around you. If you're a little kid and you're running in church, you're going to, cr- it just happens. You're going to crash into somebody. <laughs> um, it can be, Heedless running in church can be dangerous. If I had never been taught to be still in church, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have the relationship with God that I have because I would have never learned to sit and listen and learn and take seriously that there is a God who is not me, that who's different than me, that I need to be respectful of. Both things are important, both the enthusiasm and the freedom, but also the self-discipline. And so today we're going to talk about pausing. When I pause before God, it gives me the opportunity to remember whose house I'm in, if I'm here, and also whose house I'm in when I'm among other people who belong to God. And pausing also helps me So that when I'm in the church building or when I'm in my car or when I'm at home or wherever I am, it helps me to remember who I am if I have paused before God, who I am and who I'm talking to when I pray. So this is only the second sermon in our series on prayer, and 
There are a lot of prayer teaching tools out there. A lot of times um, when people are learning about prayer, they'll go through the Lord's Prayer, which is a really good um, model, obviously. Jesus gave it to us. The disciples said, teach us to pray, and that's what Jesus said. So that's probably the best way to learn to pray, but we talk about the Lord's Prayer here all the time. So, <laughs> um, so it might be hard to see something differently or more clearly um, if we go that route. And there's another famous one. It's an acrostic called Acts. Have ever, any of you ever heard of this about prayer? The letters in the word Acts stand for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is just a fancy word for asking. Um, and so, and that's a really good acrostic too. That's a really good way to learn about prayer. We are adoring God. We confess our sins before God. We thank God and we ask for things. There's another one. Um, there's a, a Catholic, yes, she was Catholic, nun from the 1500s. She was really kind of, um, she lived near the time of like Martin Luther, but she didn't reform the Catholic Church from the outside. She reformed it from the inside. And she, she loved Jesus, great woman of faith and prayer. And she talked about prayer as like stages of watering a garden. And remember, this is in the 1500s, so we wouldn't do it this way. But, but she would say, when you first start to pray, it's kind of hard. And so it's like, you have your garden over here and your well's over here and you take your bucket and you go to the well and you pull the water up out of the well and you bring it over and you water your garden. And that's a way to water the garden. It's important, but it's hard. Um, and then the more practice you get, maybe you decide, you know what, I need something. I need, this can be a little, this could be a little bit easier. Oh, hey, there's this water wheel. And so then you go and you still have your bucket, but you don't have to lower it into the well and pull it back out of the well. You just fill it up from the water wheel. And then maybe you dig some irrigation trenches. And so then the water just flows around your garden. Your prayer is getting easier. It takes some work on the front end, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. And your garden is growing better and better and better. And then finally, it starts to rain. And you don't have to do anything. It's just, prayer just happens like rain. So Ella is illustrating that on the bulletin board downstairs. Um, you can have a look. But the model we're going to look at, I'm telling you about these because we might refer to them throughout the series, but the model we're going to look at is from the book I've told you about, Pete Grieg's book, um, Prayer, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And he uses an acrostic too, the word pray. Go figure. And those letters in his model stand for pause, Rejoice, ask, and yield. There's not really a right order to do these, but it makes a nice word that way. And, <laughs> um, and you got to start somewhere, and pausing is a great place to start. But if I say pause, rejoice, ask, and yield, what's missing? Right. Wait. Thanksgiving. Uh, rejoice. Bernice, did you say something? Christmas. Christmas? <laughs> What's that? Okay, confessing. Mark, I love when you answer because you're always right there. Um, 
I, it's actually, it could fall under yield, but I'm going to say it falls under pause. Confession is part of pausing in prayer. Pausing is a good place to start prayer because it is the place where we come to terms with reality, basically. We, when we pause before God, we are confessing not just that we're sinners, not just a list of our specific sins, and not even just in words. We are confessing or acknowledging to God that God is God and who God is, and we are us, who, who God is, who we are without God, and who we are willing to be with God. Pausing is the part, I'm going to say that again, write this down. <laughs> Pausing is the part of prayer where, with or without words, we confess who God is, who we are without God, and who we are willing to be with God. So in our uh, passage from Acts that Barb read, Acts chapter 1, um, we see an active pause. And let me just say, I know that passage is about the Ascension and about Pentecost, and we're not even at Easter yet, but you should be used to my shenanigans with the church calendar by now. Um, so in this story, Jesus has risen from the dead already, and he has spent about 40 days with his followers, and he's been teaching them. And now they're on the Mount of Olives, and he's just about to raise back up to the right hand of the Father. And it says the, they, the disciples, the 12 disciples, but also the people that believed in Jesus since his resurrection, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They have an agenda. They have something that they want Jesus to do for them, that they want God to do for them. They are saying, basically, now do we get to kick Rome out? We followed you around for three years, and, you're, and you healed all these people, and then you died this horrible death, and now you're back, so clearly now we can kick Rome out, right? Now? Now do we finally get to be in charge? Now do we get to be in control? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. So they're saying, now do we get to be in control? And he says, it is not for you. You don't have the authority here. The father is the one with the authority. The father's always been the one with the authority. The father is still the one with the authority. You don't get it. You don't get the authority now. Don't run in church, guys. Just <laughs> calm down. It's not yours it's the Father's. You don't need to rush in and do things your way. Pause. Because when you pause, the next thing he says is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the Father has the authority. We confess that God is the one with the authority. When we come to prayer, that is what we confess first. And then we confess we don't have the authority. 
we are weak. We are either weak in our sin or we are weak in just we don't actually have the ability to do the thing. Or we are weak because we are under some kind of physical or spiritual attack. We are weak. And we need God, God's power to be made perfect in our weakness, like the Apostle Paul says. We need God to fill up our weakness. God's power enables us to establish God's kingdom in God's way, with God. It's not even just like, we don't have it in us and God is like, here you go, now do it. We're doing it with God. God fills us up and also comes alongside us. And so when we pause, we are confessing all of that. So the Father has the authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God in us. This is what grace looks like. When we pause, we're confessing we don't have anything in ourselves that would make, should make God love us or do anything with us, but God wants to. And the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, will come on, on us and into us and work through us. This is grace. And so we pause also to confess that. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that connects us and the rest of creation, actually, to God. The Holy Spirit, other places in the Bible, tells us prays for us. Jesus also prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know what to pray. And also probably when we think we do know what to pray. (laughs) The Holy Spirit activates the God-human dynamic so that our prayers become, as James says, powerful and effective. So the other thing, though, in this is Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Jesus had to return to the heavens to the right hand of the Father, which he does immediately after telling them this, but then there's lag time. There is lag time between Jesus going to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus' followers. And so the whole time while they're waiting for this to happen, and who knows if they even had a clue what that was going to, like how they were going to know, they are in Jerusalem. It says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. This was the room where they had their last supper with Jesus and then where they hid out while Jesus was in the tomb and they were afraid that they were going to be next. Um, they are, but now they go back there and it's a place of hope and it's a place of waiting and pausing for the spirit to arrive. It's also interesting that, the, that uh, Luke notes that it's a Sabbath day's walk. So you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? You're not going to travel much on the Sabbath. So it's not a long walk. They take this little walk, they go to this room, and that's where they are. But they're on, this pause is kind of like a Sabbath. They're in an almost enforced period of Sabbath, of rest, waiting Confessing to God, waiting for God to show up in a new way. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So who is pausing? Who's waiting for the Spirit? Everybody. Everybody. Thank you, David. Way to speed this up. Um, (laughs) So there's the 11. There's obviously not 12 disciples anymore because Judas Iscariot is out of the picture. There's the 11, and then there are the women who were also disciples of Jesus, who had followed Jesus and supported him financially the whole time he was ministering. And then last, his biological family, interestingly. um, Mary, we don't know when she started to really figure out what type of Messiah her son was supposed to be, but his brothers didn't figure that out until after he rose from the dead. So they're kind of late to the party. But all of them are there. And this is important to note. There are both men and women. There are both people who have been following Jesus the whole time and people who showed up later. People who knew Jesus well and people who were still actually getting to know him. And it's kind of funny that probably it was his family, his biological family, who were, that were getting to know him. <laughs> right. But all of them are included in this pause. They are all able to wait together for the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just say to the 12, well, you guys, you're the guys and you're the important ones. And so you get the Holy Spirit and nobody else does. No, everybody that believed in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, they're all waiting in this room. It's got to have been a huge room or they were super crowded or both because there were probably like 120 people in there. Um, Not all named, but everybody's there. And they are actually praying. It's not like they're just sitting not doing anything. We don't know the specifics of what they prayed, but we know some things about how they prayed. They prayed all together. They didn't segregate. That's why Luke gives us this list of everybody that was there. They're not saying, well, you are the spiritually mature people, so you can pray together and you little spiritual babies can pray over here. Or, well, the men have to pray over here and the women have to pray over here or ages or, or political beliefs or whatever they didn't they prayed all together they prayed in faith it says they prayed constantly so they're trusting god to act even though they didn't know what the holy spirit coming on them was going to be like and they prayed united in jesus they were following his direction he was the whole reason they were there a lot of these people did not belong together (laughs) without jesus Um, They were really different from each other at the beginning, but Jesus was the reason for them being together, and Jesus was the reason for this, for them, for this community, and for who each of them as individuals were becoming. So in this way, they're praying together, and they are getting to know God better, and they're getting to know each other better, and they're probably also getting to know themselves better in this time of pausing before God. So what is it about the pause? I think the pause in prayer builds up our faith. So two weeks ago when we started this series, David said that faith is essential to prayer, and you are 100% correct. It is essential to prayer. Why do you think that is? Foundation. Foundation, okay. Okay. Connection. Go ahead, Brandon. 
Without faith, what's the point? Quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> what kind of faith? What's that, David? Okay, faith in who you're talking to? Right. If you don't believe God's there, you're just thinking. That's a good point. So we're not talking. A lot of times people say you got to have faith. And the way that they talk about it, it kind of sounds like they're saying faith in faith. Like the faith is the important thing, not what you have faith in or who you have faith in, but just that you have some. That's not it. Um. And so that's good. It's a relief that that's not it. Because if that were it, then it really would be true. All those times that people say to you, well, you didn't get the answer to your request because you didn't have enough faith. If it were up to that, just faith in general, they might be right. But it isn't. Um, You're also, it's not even faith in prayer itself. Prayer, the Bible tells us prayer is powerful, but it's powerful because of who we're praying to. It's not prayer itself that changes things. And it's not faith in the worthiness of our request. I know this is right. I know that there, it has to be, this is how it has to be. And so um, my request is so worth it that God has to answer it. That's not, it's not that kind of faith either. It is faith in God. And so if we're going to have faith in God that God wants for his people, then we have to know who it is, like David and Ron kind of indicated. Prayers of faith come from pausing and confessing before God. We said a couple weeks ago that prayer is kind of a human construct because it is usually us. We are usually the ones initiating it. But... It is also a grace of God. God has given us a way to approach him so that he can respond to us. Prayer is how we invite God back into control of our lives. The whole of human history is about us trying to be in control. The disciples wanted to be in control of Rome or something. Um, When we pray, we're saying, God... Come on back. (laughs) I can't do this. You're in control. Prayer is how God invites us to join him in what he's doing. So I'm starting to wonder if a prayer of faith is about trusting, really is just about trusting that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Trusting that God will fulfill, maybe not our specific request, but us in his way and his time. This approach frees us to pray really specifically and also unanxiously because our faith does not hinge on the specific outcome. It hinges on God himself. So, yes, God answers prayers of people who barely know him. We've seen stories of that in the Bible. We, you probably know people that's happened to. Maybe you're one of those people that's kind of like running in church prayer. You know, you've come before God. You know that God's there. God hears those prayers. God loves you. God loves that you showed up. 
But over the long haul, when we see prayers go unanswered or when we can't see the answers or when the answers don't look like what we hoped, how can we have real God-honoring faith if we have no idea who we're praying to? Pete Grieg says, to start, we must stop. To move forward, we must pause. This is the first step in a deeper prayer life. Put down your wish list and wait. Sit quietly. Be still and know that I am God. Here's something interesting. After the apostles pause in Acts chapter 1, what's the book called? Acts. After they pause, they act. And that book in the Bible, if you have not read it, you should read it because the stories in there are pretty amazing. They're pretty exciting. They're crazy and incredible. And it's because they waited for the Holy Spirit to come on them and then to empower them to do the work of God's kingdom in the world. Prayer is more than just thoughts and prayers, real prayer. It is God and God's people acting together. It is the most powerful and effective thing we can do for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for the world. But first, we got to pause. Let's pray. Lord, we know that on our own own strength, um, in our own righteousness, we have absolutely nothing. But you have everything, and you are so gracious. You want to give it to us. And you want to work with us in the world and to bring your kingdom more and more fully before you return. We pray that you will empower us to do that. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen.